The plan is to get through Exodus 35 through 40. Much of what we're going to see in these chapters is repetition of what we already went through in Exodus 25 through 31. So normally we go verse by verse. going to read a lot of verses today, but I won't necessarily go every single verse of these five chapters. If not, probably be here till dinner time. I don't know how many of you guys are ready for that or not. But we're just going to go through these chapters, read a lot, break down a few things. If you wanted to go more in depth, you could go to some some of those past Bible studies or go listen to somebody else's Bible study. I'm sure it's much better on uh, Exodus 25 through 31. But we went really in depth into each of these pieces of furniture within the tabernacle. So we'll go through it, scratch the surface of some of those things, dig a little bit deeper and other things. But this is basically the, the culmination, the closing of Exodus of the book of Exodus and this great journey that the Israelites had to go through from Moses, a little baby being born, being put in that basket covered in tar on the outside and tar on the inside and set along the Nile to let my people go to the Red Sea, to all these things. to now the culmination of this great Exodus for the nation of Israel. And if you remember, what was the reason that Moses asked Pharaoh to let them go? What was it that they wanted to go do in the wilderness? They wanted to go worship the Lord their God. And now in a sense it's the culmination of all these things coming together. They're about to build this tent that would allow God to come and bring his presence there in the middle of each and every one of the tribes of Israel. Now does God need a tent to dwell in? Did God look at all the people in Israel? Hey, they got tents. I want a tent. No, right? It tells us that the heavens of the heavens cannot contain our God. That he's omniscient. He's in all places in our galaxy and universe and heaven. He's everywhere all at once. He simply wanted to be able to dwell with his people. Again, maybe you're here this morning and you're trying to realize, man, what is the point of my existence, right? Why am I on this planet? Why am I on this rock? Why am I alive? It's that you would grow in the presence of God. That you would get to know God in a greater and deeper way. That he would be more and more of a part of your life. And the more you give your life to God, the more fullness you're going to have, the more peace you're going to have, and the more you're going to be sure of your reason for existing. And it's to know God and to worship him. Even this tent, this tabernacle, right? I wish we had time, but in John 1, it tells us the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaking of Jesus, it's literally the word, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. How Jesus coming from heaven, being God, being spirit, him dwelling upon this earth is him tabernacling with us. And now God, what he wanted to do is he wanted to tabernacle with the nation of Israel. God wants to be in your presence. Right? Does that blow you away? Does that surprise you? Are you excited about that? Right? I don't know what you're into. I don't know your hobby, if you're into sports or whatever the case may be. But whoever's your hero or the pinnacle of that hobby you enjoy, what if they'd ask to come and spend time with you? Right? Would you be excited about it? Would you faint? Right? Would you be shaking? Would you be anxious? Man, so-and-so wants to spend time with me, right? Right? Tool calls you up. He wants to spend the whole afternoon with you, right? Are you freaking out? God wants to dwell with us. He wants to spend time with us. And I know each and every one of you, when you have people come over your house, you're just completely relaxed, right? You're just completely chill. You turn to your spouse and say, hey, we're having people over. And you say, all right, honey, great. And you just stay relaxed and you're watching TV, right? No, you get frantic. You start cleaning everything. Halfway through it, why do we even invite people, right? Why are we having them over? We could have done this at this restaurant. We could have done this. We should have done this at your sister-in-law's house. Why are we doing this here, right? You got to get things in order. And as we go through this chapter, so much detail on a tent. A great question for us to ask ourselves is, what are the things that I should be getting in order so that God's presence would be more evident in my life? What are the things that I should be cleaning 
the details of obedience that I have been lacking when it comes to God. But we'll see the very first thing that God reminds the nation of Israel. They're about to undergo the first building project in all the Bible. And here in Exodus 35, verse 1 through 3, it says, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together. And he said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. And whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath. God is here and he's reminding the nation of Israel. They're about to go under this huge building project, this huge task. But he's reminding them that all the work that they were to do for God was to be out of the overflow of their relationship with God. All of the work that was about to happen, it had to be out of the overflow of their actual relationship with God. And the way they would strengthen their relationship with God would be by taking the Sabbath. Right? What is that Sabbath? It's the only one of the Ten Commandments that God reminds them of before they begin building the tabernacle. Now, he could have reminded them, thou shalt not steal. They're going to be dealing with over a ton of gold, over three and a half tons of silver, two and a half tons of bronze. So he could have reminded them, hey, thou shalt not steal, right? Don't come and try to take the gold from the tabernacle. He could have reminded them, thou shalt not covet, right? Honey, our tent doesn't look like this, right? Why, why are you spending so much work in the tabernacle? Our tent doesn't look like this. He didn't remind them, thou shalt not covet. He reminded them to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. One of the commentators, he says, the observance of this was the best guarantee of continued loyalty to God. The best chance that the nation of Israel had of being loyal to God, not just for a day, not just for a week, not just for a moment, but continually is to make sure that they're taking that Sabbath to spend time with God. Again, he makes it a point to remind them of the Sabbath, that even though they may be doing all this work for the Lord and building the tabernacle, it should never get in the way of their Sabbath time with the Lord. It can never replace it. That is the essence, the main priority of our relationship with God is our Sabbath time with him. Now what's the Sabbath? Real quick, Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3. The Sabbath, it's instituted by God there in the garden on the seventh day of creation. Way before the law is given, before the nation of Israel is a nation, an idea, God says, hey, I'm going to take the seventh day to rest from all the work that I've done. And it's going to be holy because I'm going to rest from all my work. I know we've spoken about it, blown away, right? Joe Fossey says, what was the last thing God did on day six? He created man. And then he says, you know what I'm going to do for day seven? I'm going to rest from my work to spend time with Adam. How God's desire is to spend time with each and every one of us. Do we desire that time with him? Do we really desire his presence? God would then instruct the Sabbath for the nation of Israel before he even gives them the law or the Ten Commandments. You can write down Exodus 16, verse 23. He's going to instruct them how bread's going to rain down from heaven. And then he tells them, tomorrow's a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake today, boil today, make leftovers, because tomorrow you're not supposed to do any work. Then in Exodus 20, verse 8, God inserts the Sabbath once again, but now he inserts it into the Ten Commandments that they were to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That was the big deal with the Sabbath. Did God just want them to have a day to go out to brunch, a day to watch football, a day to go fishing? It was a day to rest from work. One day out of the seven to stop from working. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, if you're quick, you could turn there. There's a little bit added to the whole point and reason of the Sabbath. There in Deuteronomy chapter 5, in verse 12, as he's going through the Ten Commandments, expounding on them a bit more. In verse 12, he reminds them, observe the Sabbath to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. In it you shall do no work, nor you, your son, right? No one in your home should do it. But now verse 15 he says, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. 
And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Again, it was not just a day to rest. It was a day to cease from work. It was to have a day dedicated to be separate from the rest of the days. To rest, but to rest in the Lord. To rest, but to be reminded of the work that God had accomplished in each and every one of their lives. Family, how much time do you take to dwell on what God has done for you? When was the last time you were reminded of who you once were? Of who you used to be? Of how you used to spend your Saturday nights and Friday nights? Of the terrible life that you used to have? How much time do we remember being slaves to sin and to Satan? God wanted this for the nation of Israel. Take a day to rest and remember who you once were and remember the work that I have accomplished in your life. Again, this was so essential to them being able to stay loyal to God for the rest of their lives. To be resting in God and being reminded of what he's done for them. It's interesting because it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated as a requirement for us as believers within the New Testament. I don't know, when was the last time you got in an argument with someone? Hey, do you take your Sabbath Saturday or Sunday, right? Are you full Christian or like half a Christian, right? Different things like that. But Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, you could write that down. Paul, he lets us know the... Holy food, the clean food and unclean food, the clean drink, the unclean drink, the festivals, the new moons, the Sabbath, all these things were simply a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. All of it was just a shadow pointing to Jesus Christ. This law, these promises were for the Israelites, but it was just a shadow leading to the substance, which is Jesus Christ. You see, for us today, we are not spiritually recharged by taking Saturday off. We are not spiritually recharged by simply just taking a day off. We are spiritually recharged by spending time with Jesus. Family, that's how we're recharged. And we're blessed because it doesn't have to just be one day a week. You can do it every day of the week, twice a day. Three times a day, you can get spiritually recharged in who Christ is and what he's done for you and who you once were by spending time in stillness and quietness with your Bible open, saying, Lord, speak to me today. We looked at this on Wednesday, but John chapter 15, verse 4 through 6. Let's turn there real quick. A great and grave reminder to us. John 15, we looked at it on Wednesday, looking at how we should be looking more and more like Jesus. When we're looking more and more like Jesus, we can rest assured that our calling and election is sure because we've been predestined to look more and more like Jesus in our lives. If we're not looking more and more like Jesus in our lives, we should be concerned and worried. But in John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus tells us, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Again, family, the only way we can bear fruit, the only way we can do anything in this life is by abiding in Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, the author points to Jesus being our Sabbath. Jesus being our rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 11, he says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That's us, right? Hopefully we here, we're the people of God. And there remains a rest for us. Verse 10, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The author of Hebrews, right, the whole book of Hebrews is Jesus is better than, 
angels. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the Old Testament. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the priesthood. Jesus is better than the Sabbath. How they were taking the Sabbath with Moses, but they still were not able to enter into the promised land. But for us, there remains a rest. Jesus is our rest. But there in verse 11, he reminds us, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Do we not need to be diligent to actually spend time in stillness and quietness with Jesus? Does it just randomly flow perfectly to you, right? You just wake up in the morning and you just randomly, right, you flow perfectly to the coffee. You flow perfectly to get your phone, throw it out the window, right? You just flow right to the couch with your notebook, your Bible open. All the kids are quiet. No one's bothering you and it just naturally happens. No, you have to be diligent to enter into that rest. We forget about it all the time. And recently, again, just a sweet season for me in my devotional time with God. But I've realized sometimes we get into funks, right? Sometimes there's a fog that clouds over us and we're thinking, man, how do I get this fog out away from me? I just need another coffee, right? That'll, that'll clear the fog, right? I need that 3 p.m. cafecito and then all of this will be cut and clear and I'll be myself again. But sometimes it's still there. They go, oh, I got to exercise. I need a yoga. I need a yogurt, I need an ice cream, and then the fog will be cleared, right? But it's still there. You know what I've realized has cleared that fog so quickly more and more in my life? Spending time alone with Jesus. In the middle of the day, I realize, man, I'm not myself. I can't think clearly. You know what? Clear the schedule, put the phone on silent, bring out the Bible, everything quiet. God, speak to me. And that rest is there. He promises it to us. In Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus reminds us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, his desire is to give us rest. But if we're not diligent to come to him or allow him to be our Sabbath, you're never going to rest. You're not going to be loyal to him. You're not going to be recharged. You're not going to be able to do the work of God. Again, all this time talking about the Sabbath is to remind us that our relationship with Jesus has to be our ultimate priority. Our relationship with Jesus cannot be replaced by the work we do for Jesus. And that's what God is telling them here. Not even our work can replace our relationship with God, right? I'm a pastor, but when God speaks to me, he doesn't say, hey, Pastor Zach, right? I know some of you call me that. You don't have to call me that. I don't call you, hey, Mechanic Joe, hey, Landscaper Jose, hey, Police Officer, so on. No, just, just Zach, right? But God, when he talks to each and every one of you, he doesn't say, hey, worship leader, so-and-so. Hey, children's ministry, so-and-so. Hey, pastor, so-and-so. No, we are all just simply his sons and daughters. And now if we're using God's work, right, the work we do for God to identify our relationship with him, we're in a dangerous place, right? For us to see, am I right with God or not? Don't use your work for God as now a thermometer to realize, am I doing well with God or bad with God? In Matthew chapter 7, there's a great warning to us from Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, and Jesus warns us, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not, look at my work, prophesied in your name. Lord, have we not, look at my word, cast out demons in your name. Lord, have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That there's going to be people trying to get into heaven saying, Lord, look at the work we did for you. But he's going to say, I had no relationship with you. I don't know you. You didn't rest in me. You were not diligent to enter into that rest. You did lots of work, but I don't know who you are. And then the danger is when we're just carried off with the work of God and that our relationship with God, we will begin to practice lawlessness. Again, if we're practicing sin, 
habitually and yet working for God, there is not some sort of eternal weights or scales up there that God says, oh, you did enough holy work to balance out your sinful work. That doesn't exist. Do you have a relationship with God and are you being diligent to enter into that rest? In Luke chapter 10, Jesus, he speaks with his disciples and the disciples are pumped. They're doing great work for God. They're in Luke chapter 10. You could turn there if you were in Matthew. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it tells us, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, all over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But look at what Jesus says. This is what you should be focused on. Verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jesus is saying, yeah, you're rejoicing because of the work and power, authority I've given you. But are you rejoicing that you have a friendship and relationship with me? Are you rejoicing that your name is written in heaven? The key thing in our life, family, is our relationship with Jesus. Later on in Luke chapter 10, verse 39 through 42, right, there's a tale of two sisters there. And one sister gets called out by Jesus, right? She says, hey, why can't you tell my sister? All she does is sit with you. All she does is listen to you. I'm working hard, right? Can't you get her to come and work with me? And what does Jesus do? Jesus rebukes Martha. And he tells her, Martha, you distracted with much serving. You are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. Again, family, we have to be diligent to enter into the rest with only Jesus can provide. For Israel, they needed to be obedient to spend one whole day a week to be resting and reminded of all that God had done for them. Again, this was their best guarantee to stay loyal to the Lord their God. For us, it's to stay abiding in Christ, to take time each and every day to get alone, no distractions, no phone, cut those things out and have daily quiet time where our Bible's open and we're asking and showing God, Lord, speak because your servant hears. Lord, I'm, I'm ready to listen. Again, family, I don't know when was the last time you sat in stillness and quietness to hear from the Lord. Not to study his word, not to learn more. No, to hear his still, small voice. And again, God starts this whole building project saying, don't be building this building for my presence to come, and yet you're not being mindful of my presence here and now. Same thing for us, right? If you're serving, that's why here at the church we make sure if you want to serve, you're sitting in a Bible study each week because you're going to burn out. And it's the same thing here with the Israelites. God is telling them, hey, you need to be taking that Sabbath to rest. Don't work, right? To the point where it says if someone's working, try to get ahead of schedule in the tabernacle on the Sabbath day, kill them, right? Imagine that. We go now to verse 4, back to Exodus 35. So they're about to build. They're warned, right? You have to take the Sabbath. They have the blueprints. Now, you could just build a building with just blueprints, right? You need nothing else but blueprints? No, you need finances, right? You need money. Blueprints only get you so far, right? How are they going to get the money? How are they going to provide? Let's see. Verse 4 and 5, it says, Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart, and let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold and silver and bronze, all of these different things that they needed in verses 6 through 9. We went over all of these different articles. So again, this is the God. The same God that changed all the waters in Egypt into blood. The same God that caused frogs to pop out of every nook and cranny in Egypt, right? The same God who ripped the Red Sea in two and smashed it upon the Egyptian army. The same God that is causing bread to rain down from heaven twice on Friday. He's done all this work and now how does he want to gather supplies to build this tabernacle for him? He wants to ask the people to help. Could he not have done it on his own? Could he not just say, here's the one ton of gold, here's the two tons of this, here's the three tons of that, here's this, that, the third, right? Could he not have just built it on his own? But he wanted the people to be a part of the work. God wants us to be a part of the work. 
And yet we tell him, no, nah, nah, I'm too busy for that, Lord. I don't have time for that. God commanded Moses to ask the people to give, but only from what they had and only if they were willing to, only from a willing heart. Why is God doing this, right? First and foremost, God is giving them a second chance. You see, the Israelites have already given of their money and gold for a spiritual work, right? How was the golden calf built? Aaron said, hey, give me all your gold. Give me your earrings and gold. And what did they say? No, no, not my money. No, they gave it to him right away. So they were more than willing to invest in demonic things. They were more than willing to invest in things that were not for the glory of God. So now God's giving them a chance to say, hey, would you like to invest into the kingdom of heaven? You've already invested so much money in wasteful things, in sinful things. Are you willing to invest into the kingdom of God? And that same question is here for us. How much money have we blown on alcohol or drugs, random hobbies, random vacations? And yet to God, we say, whoop, tight pockets, right? God, I got no money. I blew bottles and bottles at the club, but Lord, I got no money for you now, right? How are we doing that? Right, certain random hobbies we got into, right? Blew all our money on pogs or Pokemon cards, right? And now God says, hey, do you want to help with a spiritual work? No, nah, I can't help out with that. The Lord is asking the same thing for us today. But God wants his people to be a part of his work, even though he doesn't need us. Right? Have you ever had a toddler help you do anything, right? Whenever I think of this, I always think of uh, one of my nephews. They were a lot younger then, but they're helping my dad wash the car. And all of a sudden, I look at him. And all of a sudden, he just picks up a rock. He looks at it, and now he starts walking to the car, right? He's thinking, wax on, wax off, right? Right on the car with the rock. My dad stops him, right? But have you ever tried to work on a task with a toddler? They are no help. The task takes twice as long, right? For some of us here, right, we love our spouses, but certain things are just like, just leave me alone, right? Let me do this by myself, right? But God wants us to help, not because we're all that grand or that amazing, but it's because he wants to spend more time with us. He wants to draw us in closer and closer. And that's what God's wanting to do here with the nation of Israel. But there are some truths about giving to the Lord. First and foremost, they were to take from what was among them. You should never get into debt to give to God. You should be looking at what you already have and say, Lord, what do you want me to give? Right? There's ministries out there, right? They say, oh, write down all your bills, how much you owe, cut a check to the ministry. God's going to erase the bills, and then you'll be able to cash that check to the ministry. They're just wolves doing that. But you are to take from what you have. Shouldn't be taking from someone else and say, yeah, give that to the Lord either, right? It's from what you have. And now secondly, it's whoever has a willing heart. Whoever has a willing heart. Have you ever been given a gift where someone then begins to tell you all the work that got put into the gift? How much they worked, all they did, right? Have you ever been given a gift with strings attached to it, right? What's the first thing you want to do? Not you guys. I just want to get that thing and throw it right back at them, right? I don't want that. Don't tell me all your work, how much it costs you. If you want to give it to me, give it to me. But don't guilt me and give me the gift, right? What do you think about God? You think God wants a gift from us with a bunch of, God, look at what I'm giving you, God. Lord, Lord, look at all that I'm doing for you. The Lord doesn't want that. He only wants from those who have a willing heart. That's God's desire for us. He wants us to give, but only those who have a willing heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul continues this idea in the New Testament, and he says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, God does not need our money. God does not need us for the work. Lots of pastors and ministries should be reminded of this truth, right? God doesn't need our money. But if we're willing to give, we'll be able to see that double blessing upon our life whenever we give to the Lord because we will never outgive him. But God starts off this building project from the people and he says, whoever is willing, let them give. They would then in turn, if you look at uh, real quick Exodus 36, the next chapter, in verse 3, it says that they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. They continued in their giving to God. The same process. What do I have? What do I want to give to God? Not Moses begging them. Not Aaron passing one plate or two plate or three plate. 
Now Moses is saying, I know someone here has half a ton of gold, right? Someone here has half a ton of gold, and God wants that half a ton. No, whoever is willing to give. Also notice that they didn't highlight one person and their gift to the tabernacle. They didn't say, wow, look at all that so-and-so gave. We're going to write their name in front of the tabernacle. And now as we enter into the tabernacle, everyone can be reminded of this gift. It was everyone between them and the Lord. Are we willing to give to the work of God? Then in verse 10, back in chapter 35, we look at the people who were called to begin this work and this task of this incredible tent. It tells us, all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. There in verse 11 through 19, you get, if you've worked construction, you get a punch list of all the different items that they had to build. But it was those who were gifted artisans. There's an amazing thing that God does within us. God takes us. He creates and knits each of us in our mother's womb with different talents, different gifts for different callings from God. But God used gifted people in gifted areas to do certain tasks. Right? He calls Moses to lead the nation of Israel. Moses, we know that he probably wasn't a good public speaker. He was afraid of it. Moses failed all the time. But Moses was well trained with war in Egypt. Moses was well-trained in government in Egypt, and now God gets him, and he says, what's in your hand? That shepherd's staff. Okay, now throw that shepherd's staff. The Lord wants to use us and the talents that he's given us to then give them back to the Lord. He also doesn't want us to say, man, I want to do that ministry, but I'm terrible at it, so let me just act like so-and-so so I can do that ministry that I want to do. Right? Who did God call to strike down Goliath? Spoiler alert, it's David, right? Was David not a warrior before that? Was that David's first rodeo coming up to Goliath? Now he was a five-foot kid. He was ruddy. He was young. He had no business being out there. But yet he had already killed a lion. He already killed a bear. And he was well-versed with that sling. So God, that's how God works. He gives each of us different gifts and talents. And he says, hey, are you willing to put those back into my hands? Are you willing to use those for my glory? Again, we shouldn't be trying to act like someone else to go to some other part of ministry. We should be saying, Lord, use me. Use what you've gifted me to do. And that's what happens here. He didn't say, okay, let's get the five-year-olds and put them in charge of building the tabernacle. He says, no, we're going to get the gifted people. And now God is going to now give them even more of his spirit. In verse 30, it says, Moses said to the children of Israel, see, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold, silver, bronze, in cutting jewels for settings, in carving wood, to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach then in verse 35, he has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker. Again, each of these men already had talents, but now God fills them with the Holy Spirit. And no matter how great our talent is, it is still nothing compared to the anointing of the Holy Spirit and being obedient to the Word of God. That's what it's all dependent upon. Lots of people get into trouble doing the work for Lord, for God, resting on their talents. Saying, oh, I'm talented, so I don't have to be in God's word. Or I'm talented, so ah, ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I got this. I got the talents. All those men and women slowly but surely fade away and fall away. We still have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Still need to be dependent on being obedient to God's word. So for each of us, what are the talents that God has given you? Continue to grow in those areas. Continue to sharpen those things that God has given you. Right? We always joke around about the different ministries. Right? For worship, God calls people that are gifted in worship. Because if not, no one would be worshiping. Everybody would just be staring, right? Or plugging in ears. Same is true for the teaching ministry. God did not call someone that could only speak Portuguese to be the pastor of an English-speaking church. Every area in ministry, God gives people certain talents, certain gifts, fills them with the Spirit so they can grow in those things. And now maybe you're here and you're just sad. I got no talents, right? 
Maybe you're here. I can't chew gum and walk. I always trip. The gum ends up in my hair. I don't know what happens, right? Realize this. The whole nation of Israel is known for building this tabernacle for God. Not just the people that build it. Not just the people that gave to the Lord to build it. But the whole nation. And maybe you're here and you say, I got no gifts. I got no talents. Give what you have to the Lord. Give of your time. Give of yourself to prayer. And in heaven, you'll be credited for the same thing. Right? Maybe you're sad. You hear about the missions team to Guatemala and say, man, I wanted to go. Or, man, I could never go. If you begin to pray for them, right? I was talking with Jose, right? Pray without ceasing for them. When you get to heaven, you'll be there and God will say, man, great job in Guatemala. Say, what? God, I don't even have a passport. What are you talking about Guatemala, right? That we get to be a partaker of the work that's going on if we simply pray. If we give to the Lord what we do have, right? The two mites that we have. So maybe you're here and you're bummed out. You don't have a ton of talents. Man, spend time in prayer for the work of God. And when we get to heaven, you'll be given that same gift as all your work is burned with fire of who it was done for. You'll have those same jewels to be able to put upon that crown to give to the feet of Jesus. Then we go now to the next chapter, chapter 36. And now look at this. I love a a prosperity gospel church to go through this for a Bible study. But verse 4, it tells us, Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the whole camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people, they were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much, right? When was the last time you heard a church taking a whole Bible study and say, you guys just give too much. We don't need any more, right? We don't need any more. Again, this is so beautiful because the Israelites, they wanted a gift to the work of God. But it's also so beautiful because Moses and Aaron and the leaders there just wanted to do what God wanted to do. They didn't say, man, look how much they're giving. Imagine if we put a pool next to the tabernacle, right? Look how much they're giving. Imagine a basketball court for the little Levites as they grow up in the tabernacle. They were obedient to God. This is what you're calling us to do? Lord, that's all we want to do. Lord, tell them not to give anymore. And again, that's my heart for us is that, right, we have the five acres back there. People are like, what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. I only want to do what God wants to do. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves or get into debt for no reason. We want to do what God has commanded us to do and nothing more. And that should be the same work within our lives. Lord, what are you calling me to do? I don't want to get ahead of myself. Lord, I want to count what I have so that I don't fall on my face and then be a laughing stock for you. Then in verse 8, they begin building the tabernacle, and they're going to go right loop by loop, curtain by curtain. We went through this already. If you really wanted to hear me read this, you could look up other Bible audio tracks, right? There's one with James Earl Jones if you want Darth Vader reading the Bible to you. So you can listen to him later on or go back to those other teachings. Then we continue in uh, chapter 37. They begin making the Ark of the Testimony, right? This we know is where God's Shekinah glory was going to rest upon in between the two angels. There on top of the Ark of the Covenant. God's presence was going to be there with them on the mercy seat. The only way we can come to God is through the mercy seat, right? Again, all pointing to Jesus. Then in verse 10, they're making the table of showbread. That's how God, he wanted to break bread with the priests there in his presence. They'd break fresh, they would bake fresh bread every morning, and the priest would eat them there in the presence of God. God saying, hey, I want to break bread with you. Who's the bread of life? Right? It's Jesus. The only way we get to come into God's presence and break bread with him is if we come to him in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Then in verse 17, they make the golden lampstand. is the only piece of furniture that would produce light in this tabernacle, in this tent. Who's the light of the world? Jesus says that he is the light of the world. But then he says, I'm leaving and now you are the light of the world. Each and every one of us, we are the light of the world. And that golden lampstand there would have one ball of oil and then it had seven wicks coming out, seven other lines coming out. 
The only way we can be the light of the world is if we're plugged into Jesus. And we have that Holy Spirit, that oil in our lives shining forth. In verse 25, they make the altar of incense. That was to be that sweet-smelling aroma going up continually to the Lord. How we should be praying and worshiping and how it's a sweet-smelling aroma to our God. But also how it was making intercession there before the Holy of Holies. And how Jesus, he's there at the Holy of Holies, right? Before God making intercession for us. Verse 29, they make the anointing oil. They make the incense then in verse 1, chapter 38, they make the altar of burnt offering. Looked at that teaching, right? The killing place, a great name for a teaching, right? And how the altar of burnt offering was the first thing you would see in the tabernacle property. And the only way we can come to God is if our sins are cleansed. What's the only way our sins can be cleansed? If an innocent, perfect sacrifice is given for us. Jesus was our innocent perfect sacrifice given for us so that we would be able to enter into God's holy presence. Without the killing place, there's no way we can taste of the presence of God. Then in verse 8, we'll park here real quick. We never went really in depth here with the bronze laver. Verse 8, ladies, you may not like this. Guys may find this funny. Uh, Verse 8, it says, He made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Apparently within the whole, hey, give what you see fit from the Lord, there were many women that gave their mirrors to God. And it's not like there's a CVS in the wilderness where they could just go buy another mirror, right? We also know that in Egypt, that's where makeup was created. They would get a piece of bronze. They would flatten it out, and then they would polish it so it would be so shiny you'd be able to see your own reflection. And the women were willing to give up their mirrors for the work of God. How many of you ladies would be willing to keep your makeup but have no access to mirrors, right? Asking your toddler, does this look right? Am I doing this right, right? They were willing to give to the work of God. Are we willing to give to the work of the Lord? This bronze lava, right? It'd be so shiny, the priest would be able to see the reflection. And what would be in there? There would be water. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, we see that the only way that a husband would cleanse and sanctify his wife is by washing her with the water of the word. And the only way we can see where we are truly at with God is by going through God's word. In James chapter 1, let's turn there. We're going to get a two-for-one special reading this. James chapter 1, verse 22. We'll read through the end of the chapter. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Again, they would be looking into this mirror. And as we go through God's word, God is revealing to each and every one of us where we are really at. Just like all of you, you look great this morning. You all looked at a mirror to see where are you really at. My hair going this way, my hair going that way, right? Got eye boogers, right? Got crust in my teeth, got spinach from last night, right? And you guys look like you all addressed what you saw in the mirror. The question to us this morning is, as God's word is that mirror to our lives, will we address the things that God is showing us? Or will we just walk away? Just walk away, say, ah, I'm just going to stay the same. <sighs> oh, man, I almost knocked myself out. I'm just going to stay the same, right? My hair is going all the way. I'm just going to stay the same. Again, this bronze laver, they'd be able to see who they really were, what they really looked like. And we're going to look at this later on as we finish the chapter. All the details, it's going to say, and Moses did as the Lord commanded. Moses did as the Lord commanded. 
Moses did as the Lord commanded. As we finish the book of Exodus, Moses was a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Detail by detail, article of furniture by article of furniture, loop by loop, fence post by fence post, Moses did what God commanded. How much of our lives would be Zach did what God commanded? Zach did what the word said. Zach is a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Again, family, it's so important to come to church, but you're not going to get the full effect in your life unless you're being obedient to God's word. If you're only hearing it and doing nothing about it, you're being foolish. We should hear God's word and want to stick to it and say, Lord, I want to do this no matter the cost. Then in verse 9 there in the same chapter, they make the court of the tabernacle, right? They make that whole fence that's made out of white linen, right? It's not going to really protect things from getting in and out, but it's a reminder to them that this property is holy, that God is holy, and this property would be in the middle of the whole entire tribe of Israel, all the 12 different tribes. Then in verse 21, look here, it says, this is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of testimony, which was counted according to the commandment of Moses. For the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest, Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ashamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine linen. We see here that God called a man to create an inventory of all that the people had given. Again, our God is a supernatural God. He's able to rain down bread from heaven and change the weather, do all sorts of amazing things. But he's also super practical. He says, hey, guys, you need an inventory of what the people gave. You need to know what the people are giving. Make sure nobody's touching it, nobody's taking it. Make sure that you have an inventory. Paul, he did the same thing when he's raising a tithe to give to another church. He says, send with me someone else. To keep me, to bring it so that there's no questions on the numbers or question that I'm dipping into the bucket. Bring to me a man that can keep things accountable. Again, just the practicality of our God. Send me a man. Here at our church, I try to do everything with accountability, especially with the finances. Get another accounting group to relook at the numbers and make sure everything is right, that no one's doing anything questionable on the numbers. Even God called a man to make an inventory, right? Then in verse 24, tells us all the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that's the gold of the offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Just about one ton of gold, right? Forgot to look at it this morning, how much gold was an ounce, but talking about millions of dollars in a tent, Right? Verse 25 through 28, they tally all the silver. There's three and a half tons of silver. Verse 29 through 31, they tally all of the bronze. And there's two and a half tons of bronze. All this money, millions and millions of dollars for a tent. Yet what was the most important thing that they needed for the tent? The presence of God. If not, it would just be a gaudy tent, if we're honest, right? Who would drop a one ton of gold into a tent. I hope none of your tents cost that much money, right? So again, all of this was to be obedient to God, that God's presence would be there with them. Exodus 39, verse 1, they begin making the garments of the priests. Again, we looked at all this in depth as we already journeyed through that. They begin making the ephod, the 12 different stones, how they would wear this upon their chest, that they'd have the different tribes of Israel upon their hearts. They make the breastplate also that would hold that ephod there in verse 8. We continue in verse 22. They begin making all the different priestly garments, all the bells, the pomegranates, the woven, uh, all the details here, the gold, the, all these details put in together. Then in verse 30, if you remember, they had a golden plate made for them that they would put in the crown of their tunic, Right? Verse 30, then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the graving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. The priests were to be separated unto God. And we are, right, we looked at that, we are a kingdom of priests to God. 
Don't get a tattoo on your forehead that says holiness to God, right? Please don't do that. But we are to be set apart to God. Every single one of us in here. You are to be separate from this world. You're not supposed to look like it. You're to be separated unto God. Then verse 32, right, we get that great word. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. And now they're going to bring every single piece, piece by piece to Moses. And I wonder if he has Exodus 25 through 31 open, right? Okay, how many loops? Okay, how many corners, right? And he's going to go piece by piece making sure it's exactly what God had said. There in verse 33 through 41. They go piece by piece. They bring it to Moses. He inspects it, right? Verse 42. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it. Moses was a doer. Of the word, as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. Again, family, that's why it's so important that the work we do is unto the Lord and not unto men. There's so much in this tabernacle that most people were never gonna see. The only people that would see the inside of the tabernacle, it was the high priests. There's layers on the roof that they would never even see what was in between it. And that's why when we do our work, for men and for men's applause, we'll do as little as possible to still get the recognition we desire. Right? If you still want that good job but not the full thing, you'll do just enough, but you won't go all the way. But when we do things for God, we make sure every layer, every loop, every clasp, every cubit, right, is done exactly as God has said. Again, family, may all that we do be done for the glory of God. May each of us seek to do our best in whatever we're doing to bless the Lord, to honor him. We're not working for our bosses. We're not working for our employers. We are working for the Lord. There in chapter 40, verse 1, the first day of the month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. It took them six and a half months of work to build this tabernacle. And you thought it took you a while to build your tent on your camping trip, right? But it took them six and a half months, two, three million people working on this tent. So God tells them piece by piece, bring this here, put this here, put that there, all in the exact order that God has said. In verse 12, then he says, you're going to bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You're going to wash them with water. Again, the picture that we'd be washed with God's word. Then they're going to put on the holy garments of Aaron. We need to put on the righteousness of Christ that we can only have in a relationship of Jesus Christ. Then it says to anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. We need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And we need to be set apart that we'd be able to do the work of God. It says do the same thing for the sons, for the fathers. Verse 16, Moses was a doer of God's word. Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. Again, this great work of God. And he begins to put everything piece by piece, the partition, the table, the veil, the bread, the lampstand, piece by piece. Then in verse 32 it says, whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. G. Campbell Morgan, he says, it reminds us that a divine work must always be done according to the divine pattern and most strictly in the divine way. The truth is so self-evident that it would seem needless to stress it. Yet a perpetual temptation to the mind of man is to endeavor to improve upon a divine plan. Again, family, as we go through God's word, are we trying to improve upon God's word? Are we trying to say, God, eh, you didn't really mean this. This is what you really meant, right? Jesus, if Jesus was around in 2021, this is what he'd actually be saying. And this is the warning to us. Moses followed every single detail. If it made sense or not, he followed it to the T. So now for us today, are we being obedient to God's word to the T? 
Or are we trying to do better than it? God, you really didn't mean this. God, it's only in the Old Testament. You're not the same God, right? So there's like Old Testament God, New Testament God. You got a little bit happier. I want the New Testament God, right? You're trying to improve upon it, upon his divine plan. Oh, it's in the New Testament, but Jesus didn't say it. You're trying to improve on God's plan. Jesus said it, but he didn't say the exact words. You're trying to improve upon God's plan. We need to be reminded God is God and we are not. He's the one that saved us and brought us into heaven and this relationship with him. We did nothing to deserve it. We did nothing to initiate it. So now after receiving this great gift, are we going to tell God, hey, my plan is better than yours? My interpretation of scripture is better than yours? No, Moses did exactly the divine pattern that God had put in front of him. Verse 33, it says, He raised up the court all around the tabernacle on the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Maybe this morning you're totally into uh, architecture and interior design and you've never been more excited for a teaching in your life. Uh, maybe there's some of us here where we're mortals, right? And we're saying, man, what's up with all of this cubit by cubit and pole and clasp? And what is all this is going on? I'm never going to build a tabernacle. God, what are you, why are we reading this, right? Ten chapters on this. God, you repeated this twice in the same book. What are you talking about? There's a great reminder to us that even though we probably won't be building a tabernacle, maybe that's what God wants on the back five acres, but even though we probably won't be building a tabernacle, there's a great reminder to us where the tabernacle or temple is now. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, Paul tells us, right, he says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Again, family, the whole point of this tabernacle was that God's presence would come down and be at the center of the nation of Israel. And now God says our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple that God has given us, that God has purchased with his blood. And now he's telling us to flee sexual immorality. Are we going to be obedient to him? Whether we agree with it or not, whether we want to change the language or not, Will we be obedient to him? Or will we just have an empty tabernacle, right? All the gold, all the work, but none of his presence. What a waste. What ridiculousness, right? A ton of gold in a random empty tent out in the wilderness. What are you doing? Again, God's work done God's way, which is without compromise, will bring God's presence and God's blessing. God's work done God's way, which is without compromise, will bring God's presence and God's blessing. Right? We sung about it all morning long, his presence. But the only way we're going to have his presence is if we're doing things according to God's word, without compromise, without trying to change anything. And this is the only way we get God's blessing. Again, if Moses tried to cut certain corners... I'm sure God said, I I'm not going in there. You're not obedient to me. The same is true for us today, family. Are we being obedient to God's word? Will it be said of us, right, in our own little book written about our lives? So Zach did as the Lord commanded. So Zach did as the Lord commanded in each and every aspect of my life. Back to Exodus 35, verse 34, right? How they must have waited with anticipation. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 the whole point of this building, all of this work, all of this money, six and a half months of work, 400 years in uh, Egypt, right? All of this leading to verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. For if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night 
in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Again, Moses did it God's way. Moses was obedient to God's word. So now Moses got to taste of God's presence and God's blessing, not only on his life, but on the life of the whole entire nation of Israel. Again, remember, family, the work of God is never to replace our relationship with God. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you spending quiet time with Jesus? Remember, we don't have to give to the work of God. We get to give to the work of God. If we're giving out of guilt or impulsion, if we're giving out of someone trying to guilt us, right, someone making us feel bad, don't give. Wait till the Lord does that work, that move in your heart. Are we using the talents that God has given to us? Are we giving them back to the work of God? Are we doing that? And then finally, are we being obedient to every command of God? Every small one, every big one, every great one. Right? It wasn't just the Ark of the Covenant that you had to be obedient to. It was every loop, every clasp, every pull, every fence post. You had to be obedient to all of it. So again, if we desire God's presence... And we just be obedient to him. Say, God, you're God, I'm not. I'm willing to submit. I'm willing to follow you because I want, I desperately desire your presence. 